I've been teaching on don't limit God. And I tell you, this is powerful. This has revolutionized my life. And you know, I'm not the greatest example of all of these things. I just recently have been with some people that make what I'm bleeding for seem small in comparison. And God is speaking to me that, man, I need to take the limits off and believe for so much more. It's not like I've arrived, but I've left. And compared to where I was, compared to where many people are, I have just seen God do some wonderful, awesome things in my life. And that's what this teaching is all about, is about how you can take the limits off of God. And so we've already covered a lot of things. What I want to begin to share today is to talk about how a fear of man limits God. And this is pervasive. Now, you may not agree with that at the onset of this, but if you will listen to the whole thing and follow these things I'm saying in Scripture, I believe that you'll recognize that this is something that is a common plague to every last one of us. It's just like gravity. You know, it, it works on every person. Now, you can rise above it. You could take off in a rocket, you know, and escape the Earth's gravity, or you could take off in a plane and you can fly above it, but it's still there, and it takes some power. It takes some effort to be able to rise above it. Likewise, this is just something that afflicts every person is a fear of men, a fear of what people are going to say about you. And look at this verse in Proverbs chapter 29 and in verse 25. It says, The fear of man bringeth a snare. But whosoever putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. And the word snare right here is, you know, describing the way that an animal was caught. That you put some bait or something in there, and then when the animal goes in for the bait, the trap uh, snares them. They're caught. They're captured. They lose their freedom, could lose their life. And in a like manner, the fear of man is what Satan uses to just paralyze and stop us from so many things. If you went back to the book of Genesis and looked at Adam and Eve when they sinned and ate of the forbidden fruit, in Genesis chapter 3, I believe it's verse 7, it says immediately their eyes were open and they were afraid. The very first negative emotion to ever enter into the human race was fear of rejection, fear of God punishing them. And you know, there really wasn't any reason for that because God had been totally good and kind and had never shown any abusive qualities or anything towards Adam and Eve. And yet immediately the moment that sin entered, fear became a part of their heart and they went and hid themselves and made fig leaves to try and cover their nakedness. And yet if they would have run to God, God made them coats of skins and covered them much better than their feeble attempts to cover themselves. But fear is just a pervasive uh, thing that every single person has. And you know, if you look over in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, it's talking about what the angels are singing in heaven right now. It says 24 hours a day, all of the time that the angels and the four living creatures and the elders are falling down and they're saying, worthy is the lamb. And it says, because for your pleasure we are and were created. And I believe this is significant. You know, in heaven right now, they are saying that the reason God created mankind was for His pleasure. I believe that you could also say that we were created for fellowship with God. God wanted us as an object of His love. He wanted to love us 
but he also wanted to be loved by us. And there's just, you know, thousands of scriptures. You know, one of them that comes to mind is Proverbs, or Psalms chapter 22, where it says that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, it says that the Lord will rejoice over us with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over us with singing. And if you study those things out in the Hebrew, it literally means that there is twirling and dancing, that God takes pleasure in us. He, he, he is pleased with us. He loves us. He made us for fellowship is the point I'm trying to get across. And I believe it is imprinted on our DNA to be accepted, to be loved. A person who enjoys rejection, I believe that that is perversion. That is not normal. God never made any of us to enjoy uh, rejection. <coughs> Excuse me. Now there's a balance to this. You've got to balance this with the fact that we live in a fallen world and Jesus said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 that all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And Jesus talked about that, you know, if they've persecuted me, they are going to persecute you. When you are persecuted, shout and leap for joy. And so since we live in a fallen world, it is obvious that we aren't going to be accepted and loved by everybody. And if you just take this this desire for acceptance that I believe is imprinted on every person's heart. And if you let it go to an extreme, you could become a super man pleaser that just does whatever it takes to try and get along with everybody. And I tell you, I think that this is in epidemic proportions today, that there are people that are just desiring acceptance I've literally listened to the testimonies of people like Nikki Cruz. He has a ministry here in Colorado Springs and others that, you know, because of a desire for acceptance, people will go out and join gangs and, and do terrible things and do things that they naturally wouldn't do, but it's a desire to identify and be accepted with some group. And because of it, people join the mafia. They will do all kinds of things. There are people that let peer pressure force them into doing things that they would have never have done on their own. You know, I remember not long after the Lord really touched my life, I got drafted and sent to Vietnam. And in Vietnam, there was just so much ungodliness going on. They would have these things that they called stand downs and you would go into the rear area for three days and the government would provide you with all the free booze that you could uh, drink and you just had a party for three days. They brought in showgirls from the Philippines that, you know, they would put on these shows that were super provocative. They were not godly at all. And of course, these showgirls were actually prostitutes. And after the show was over, you could have all of the sex, all the booze, and there was uh, drugs over there. And did you know that there was a desire in my heart to be accepted with people? And I I may be wrong, but as far as I knew, I was the only person out of hundreds of people that they brought back down to the rear area, you know, during the fighting. I was the only person that didn't go to these shows. I was a chaplain's assistant. And I had some good chaplains, but the chaplain that I was with, he actually got up on the stage, got drunk, stripped naked, and tried to have sex with one of the showgirls. So even my chaplain and others... I mean, it was just terrible. And I was sitting there and I was the only 
person that didn't participate. And I remember standing out on the beach in uh, Chu Lai is where my division headquarters were and I could hear the music and see the lights of this show and all of the people, hundreds of people in there screaming and yelling and doing these things and I was just there by myself. And I tell you, it was like there was a magnet pulling me that direction. And at the time, I didn't know what to think about it, but I mean, I was resisting it with everything I was worth. I was praying and believing God. But you know what I believe it was? It was this desire to be accepted. I didn't want to do those things. I, that wasn't who I was. It wasn't what God had done in my heart, but there was a desire to be accepted. And I had people that just constantly rejected me in the military. You know, I would stand and visit with people and talk to them about the Lord. And as a result, when we'd go in for uh, lunch and, you know, eat in the mess hall, I'd go and sit down and people would pick up their trays and move. And I just, the vast majority of the time, would eat by myself. Nobody would sit with me because I had become an outspoken Christian. I'd talk to them about the Lord and they just treated me like the plague. And I guarantee you that bothers you. I'm like anybody else. It's not that I enjoy people rejecting me and criticizing me. I think that God made us for acceptance. And so there is this desire to be accepted that is universal. If you don't have a desire for people to love you and accept you, I think something's wrong with you. I really do. But like I said, we live in a world where if you are going to stand for the truth, there are just so many scriptures that show if you live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. And just on and on we could go. And so how do you deal with this rejection, which in a sense is against your nature? Nobody likes rejection. How do you deal with the fear of man? Well, first of all, you need to recognize that the fear of man brings a snare, just like it says here in Proverbs 29, 25. In other words, this is how Satan snares you. Satan can limit what God wants to do in your life if you are afraid of the criticism and the rejection of other people. And I tell you, as we've been talking about this whole series on Don't Limit God, I've been sharing this from Scripture, but I've been using basically my own personal testimony because this is something that God spoke directly to me. And when He showed me that I was afraid of men and I was afraid of their rejection, I was afraid of criticism, I was afraid of what people would think if I started being bold and speaking out my vision and going for it. When God showed this to me, I tell you, this revolutionized my life. And it was subtle. I didn't even recognize that I was doing it. It was something that if you would have asked me, was I operating in a fear of man? I would have said, well, you know, that there's time. I don't like the rejection, but no, I'm doing what God told me to do. And I was, but I wasn't as bold with it as what God wanted me to be. And it was subtle. I didn't even realize that I was having a fear of man, but I was. And just this year, here we are, uh, 12 years after God started speaking these things to me, January of 2002, and as I'm making these programs, I'm 12, nearly 13 years later, and God spoke to me in 2014 that I again was fearful of how people were going to perceive me if I started speaking my whole vision and showing all of the things that God has spoken to me. I don't think that this is something that you ever just totally 
conquer. It's like you deal with it one time and boom, it's over with. It is a progressive thing and you have to constantly get to a place to where you reject this fear of men. You refuse to let people intimidate you. And I tell you, in our culture today, this is how the devil and his crowd are using to silence the church is a fear of criticism and rejection. In the United States, we don't suffer being put in prison or being killed as it was in the Bible with Paul and them. But you know what? One of the subtle ways that Satan comes against you is just this political correctness. People are going to come against you and criticize you as being... Uh, you know, a homophobe, that you are uh, one of these right-wingers and they start pigeonholing you and they just, it's rejection and criticism and it cows a lot of people into silence and not speaking the truth. And yet the Lord made it very clear that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. John chapter 12, verse 32. He also said in John chapter 17, verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We've got to speak the truth. We've got to speak the word of God. And one of the reasons that our nation is going the direction it's going is because ministers, Christians, not only ministers, but I'd say that ministers have to bear a large portion of the responsibility for this, but Christians have been cowed into not speaking the truth and not saying the truth. And how are people going to know the truth and be changed by it if the people who have revelation of the truth are intimidated and fearful and not speaking forth these truths? You know, one of the things that changed my life, and this was a turning point in my life, that God showed me something about a person, a friend of mine, and showed me some things that were a major issue in their life. They needed to change. God spoke to me and gave me a word of knowledge and told me to tell this person. And yet, I knew I had heard from God and I knew that these things could help them. And yet, I also knew that the chances were they were going to be upset. It had a potential of ruining a relationship. I was anticipating rejection and criticism over it. And because of a fear of how that person would react, I was sitting here debating about, God, should I say this? I knew it was a revelation from God. It wasn't something that I had discerned in the natural. It was a word from God. I knew I'd heard from God, and yet I was debating about, should I say this? Because of the negative reaction that I anticipated coming. And as I was thinking about that, you know, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, Andrew, he says, it is not right for you to reject the truth for that person. And what he meant by that was that if I didn't go ahead and say what God had shown me and led me to speak, then in a sense, I was rejecting the truth for that person. He, he told me, he says, everybody has the, they should have the right to reject the truth on their own if they are going to reject it. But when I don't even tell a person what the truth is because I fear their rejection, I fear a negative response, well then in a sense I've rejected it for them. I didn't even give them the chance. I didn't even honor them and give them the opportunity of rejecting the truth on their own. And when the Lord spoke that to me, I tell you, it changed my life. And I realized that I just, that's wrong for me to make that judgment on your behalf. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to say what the Word of God says. And if I say the truth, well, then the Holy Spirit can take that truth 
and quicken it to you and use it to convict you and to change you and to speak to you. But if I'm afraid to speak the truth because I fear your rejection and your criticism, well then in a sense, I rejected the truth for you. I tell you, that changed the way I look at things. I still don't like rejection. I still don't like people to criticize me. I would love it if everybody loved me. I think that that's the way that God made us is for a relationship. You, something's wrong with you if you like people being upset at you. But I realize that, man, there is a spirit of antichrist in this world. There are lies and deceptions. The uh, Bible talks about 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who believe not. And we are the ones that are like a city set on the hill. We're the ones that have the truth. We've got to speak the truth and not everybody's going to like it. It says those who walk in darkness, they hate the light and they will not come to the light lest their deeds be reproved and made manifest. And so, you know what? There is rejection and there is resistance and I don't like it, but I have come to realize that God has put a word in my mouth and I need to be faithful to speak the word and not be afraid of men. If I am, then that limits what God can do in my life. It limits what God can do through me touching other people. And I tell you, this is, I believe, where the body of Christ, this is one of the major areas that they are failing in. The body of Christ has been cowed into a position of not speaking the truth because it's not politically correct today, because there is the spirit of Antichrist has gained so much dominion and there is so much criticism against outspoken Christianity. You know, the world doesn't care what you believe as long as you just believe it inside of the four walls of your church, as long as you leave it there, but don't get it out into the public sector. But I guarantee you, they have their unbelief. They have their values out into the public sector and they are pushing them in our school systems. They are critical of anybody who stands up and talks about God, talks about the Bible, talks about morality. They won't have it, but they will push their doctrines, their unbelief, their values without any restrictions whatsoever. And we need to stand up and speak the truth. And if you do there is going to be criticism. You know, I wouldn't doubt that someday in the United States that we could lose our 501c3 standing, that we could start having to pay taxes, that they could start doing things to pressure. I just read a thing that the uh, mayor in Houston is asking for all of the preachers to turn in their sermons. She's a homosexual and she wants to review their sermons and make sure that there is no criticism of homosexuality. That is absolutely wrong, but I can guarantee you there are pastors that would be cowed into a position of not speaking the truth because they're afraid of being criticized by somebody like the mayor. And I wouldn't doubt that someday there will come a time that we would go to jail for standing up and speaking. They actually have some laws in some cities that I've read about where they now, if you say anything like homosexuality is not a godly thing, it is not the way that the Bible says that we're supposed to act, that's considered hate speech in some cities and you could literally be fined thousands of dollars and if you continue to do it, you could go to jail. I don't doubt that someday in this nation that we could go to jail for saying what the Word of God says. In foreign countries, like in the UK, I have literally had my programs pulled because I quoted scripture and said certain things that are not politically correct in the UK. And um, 
So anyway, that television network withdrew from the UK and now broadcast from outside of the UK in by satellite and they can't control that. But I mean, it already has become, there is so much resistance that someday it could be, you could be imprisoned, you could have your tax exemption taken away. There are penalties and stuff, but you compare that to Paul and the people in the Bible who presented these truths and are the ones that were responsible for spreading them in the first century. And I mean, with them, it wasn't just criticism. It wasn't just a little slap on the hand. They were put to death. There were people that were burned at the stake. There were terrible things done. And yet, praise God that these people went ahead and spoke the truth regardless of the consequences. I tell you, that just have people look at you and call you a fanatic and roll their eyes and maybe not sit at the table with you. That is a minor thing to bear. We need to get uh, free from a fear of man and worrying about what they have to say. And we need to get to where we are boldly proclaiming the truth and standing on the Word of God. A fear of man brings a snare. It's a trap. This is how Satan stops us and hinders the gospel from going forth. And I tell you, to the best of my ability, I am trying to overcome this and get away from the fear of man and just speak the truth and let the chips fall where they may. I would encourage you to do the same. There are probably some of you that are afraid of people rejecting you and criticizing you and making fun of you uh, over the things you believe. And if you were to stand your ground and just be bold and speak, I'm not talking about being mean or obnoxious or any of those things, but if you just boldly proclaim the truth about either your vision or about the revelations, the truths that God has given you, the morality that God has given you that is contrary to this world system, if you were to just speak out, many of you would find out that your fears of what people are going to say and do about you would be unfounded. Now, in all honesty, I'll have to say that, yes, you will suffer criticism and you will suffer rejection. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All who will live godly in Christ Jesus uh, shall suffer persecution. If you aren't being persecuted, it's because you aren't living godly. So I'm not saying that you won't experience some persecution, but I'm saying much of the fear that you have of men is actually unfounded and it's just Satan raising these strongholds in your mind. I've actually found that when I stand and speak about things that, you know, even people who disagree with me respect me because they know that I'm going to be criticized. They know it's not popular. And I even have some of my critics that will at least say positive things about me. The vast majority of people just respect a person who's going to be honest and sincere and not hypocritical. Even if they disagree with you, they would respect your stand. Well, I believe that that is a special word for some people today. And I encourage you to receive it as a word from God. Let me share this passage with you out of Leviticus chapter 19. And in uh, verse 18... It says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. You know, Jesus referred to this verse as being one of the two greatest commandments in all of the Old Testament. It's like 
you know, if you were going to hang a picture on the wall, you would have to put an anchor or some kind of thing into the wall that would hold that weight. And then you hang that picture or whatever on that thing. Well, this is one of the two pegs that like hold up everything else in the Old Testament according to what Jesus said. And right before this, you know, many times people will refer to this, love your neighbor as yourself, and they will take that out of context. But look at the context of this. In Leviticus chapter 19 and in verse 17, it says, Thou shalt not hate thy neighbor in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Well, that is a huge statement right here. It's saying that if you don't rebuke your neighbor and you see them headed for sin, it's because you hate them in your heart. Now, that's exactly the opposite of what this world system says today. The world system says that if you stand up and criticize not the homosexual, but the homosexuality because it is a perverted lifestyle and it damages people. And if you stand up and do that, well, then you're hating people. You're a homophobic. You are a uh, homo. You hate homosexuals. You hate abortion. You hate those people that get abortion. And the world has totally frame the question in a way that if you stand up for morality, they say you are a hate monger. But the truth is you hate people if you don't tell people the truth and you know that what they are doing is a destructive thing. You hate them. That's what this says. You shall not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise, that means under any circumstances, under any conditions, under any political climate, you have to, under any wise, rebuke your neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. You know, in the United States, we, the Surgeon General has determined that cigarette smoking is hazardous to your health. And so they put this warning on packages of cigarettes. Anytime that there is an advertisement for cigarettes, they have to have the warning from the Surgeon General. It's mandated by law because smoking takes seven years off of the average person's life. And did you know people have accepted that and think, well, that's just the right thing to do. We need to be honest and tell people that this is damaging to your health. And yet statistics show that homosexuality takes an average of 21 years off of the average person's life. They die through sexually transmitted disease. The uh, suicide rate among homosexuals is infinitely greater than it is among heterosexuals. You add all of these things together, statistics show that it is, takes 21 years off of the average homosexual's life. So that is three times worse than smoking cigarettes. And yet we put a warning on cigarettes. And today, if you stand up and say anything against homosexuality, not against the homosexual, but against homosexuality, you are viewed as a hate monger and they come out and they're actually beginning to find people and to do things and come out against it. I tell you, that is perverse. If you were going to be honest if you weren't operating under the spirit of Antichrist, which is so prevalent in this world, and if you were going to just be honest without any prejudice whatsoever, if you're going to say that cigarettes are so bad that we have to warn people about them, then you would also say that we need to warn people about homosexuality because it is three times as destructive to people's health as cigarette smoking. And I know that there's people 
that don't like what I'm saying. But I'm telling you the truth, not because I hate you, but because I love you. And I'm trying to tell you the truth, that this is not a godly lifestyle. It is not an accepted lifestyle. It is not the same thing. You know, I've used this example before, but it's, it's one of the best examples that I've got that one time going up a steep mountain road as I went home, it was dark, it was foggy, a man passed me and right as he passed me, he, his brake lights came on and his car jerked to the right. I could tell he hit something. I put on my brakes, stopped right next to him and he had hit a, a horse and this horse had caved in his windshield and the man was sitting there bleeding and the horse was laying in the road. So I was on the shoulder. The man was in the right lane. The horse was in the left lane and a car, a Suburban, came around the corner at 50 to 60 miles an hour and hit this horse and just totally decapitated it. And the, the woman was barely able to regain the use, uh, you know, to keep her uh, Suburban from flipping. And there were other cars coming around the corner and it was, like I said, it was foggy, it was dark, it was on a corner. And I knew that lots of people were going to be hurt. And so what I did was run back around the corner, down the hill, and I started jumping out in front of cars like a quarter of a mile in front of this wreck. And people got mad at me and it was so foggy and I had no lights or anything. And so the only way I could actually make people stop or slow down was to jump out in front of their car. And there were people that were mad. There was people that pulled over on the side of the road and yelled at me and cursed me and said, what's wrong with you? And they thought all kinds of things. They must have thought I was drunk. They might have thought I was high on something. But when they got around the corner and saw the wreck, they realized why I was doing it. And you know what? I can guarantee you that there was people that cursed me. There was people that thought terrible things about me. But if I truly love other people, more than I love myself, I had to sit there and suffer their criticism, suffer their rejection. And if I hadn't have done that, because I don't want anybody to reject me. I don't want anybody to cuss me. I don't want anybody to think that I'm trying to stop them and I was going to abuse them or do something. And so rather than suffer their criticism, I just stand there and let people come around the corner and pile up and hit this. There could have been people killed there could have been people that could have been paralyzed for life. It would have been a tremendous amount of damage to their property, to their vehicles, and on and on it goes. It was like 30 minutes or more before the police got there. And there is no telling. I probably saved dozens, if not hundreds, of people from getting hurt. And yet I got a lot of criticism. And likewise... There are people that criticize me. There's people that will criticize you and think, well, man, you are just mean-spirited. You are this, and they will criticize you and say things. But if you truly love people, you've got to tell people the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, is what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32. You've got to tell people the truth. The truth is what sets people free. And for whatever reason... The church has not been bold in proclaiming the truth. And I believe it's because of a fear of man. We're afraid of criticism. We don't like people rolling their eyes at us. We don't like people separating us. We don't want people talking about us behind our back. And rather than run the risk of some criticism and stuff like this, the average person just is not bold to speak forth what God has shown them. 
But you know, you need to change your attitude. Instead of looking at yourself as having the inferior position, you need to recognize we're the ones that God has shown the truth to. A person with the truth is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. We've got the truth. And God's Word is truth. It says that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about take the sword of the Spirit. The truth of God's Word is a sword. And if we would wield it, if we would get it out of its sheath, if we wouldn't be afraid to speak the truth, if we would boldly proclaim the truth, I guarantee you that sword would cut and it would prune, and it would change our society. But we've got a lot of people, primarily preachers, but a lot of people, whether you're a preacher or not, that are just afraid to speak the truth, afraid to tell people the truth. And I would like to present to you that based on Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17, if you are afraid to speak the truth because of the criticism that it might bring, then you hate your neighbor. I know that that's a strong statement and many people say, oh, that's not true. But comparatively, you are loving yourself. You are exalting yourself. You don't want to suffer that criticism. And so you would rather your neighbor just suffer under the lies and the deception of the devil and you aren't going to speak the truth. Well, according to the scripture, you hate your neighbor in your heart unless you under any wise, in any circumstances, regardless of the consequences, speak the truth and not allow sin to come upon them. Sin is damaging. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. And our society today is not saying that. They won't call things sin. I've heard people on talk shows saying, So do you believe that this is sin? And the average pastor will waffle. Well, I, you know, we don't want to reject anybody. We don't want to do that. I mean, you just ought to say, yes, it's sin. God loves you. Jesus died for the sinner. He commended his love towards the sinner. I'm not condemning you. I'm not saying God hates you, but I am saying that it's sin. And the wages of sin is death. Sin brings death. There are people that are suffering today because they will not acknowledge what they're doing is wrong. And in a sense, you could give them a pass because they don't know the truth. They haven't studied the Word. But we who know the truth, we that God has revealed these truths to, we've got to stand up and we need to begin to speak the truth. And bringing this back full circle to what I started teaching on about don't limit God, it wasn't just moral issues, but I had a truth, a revelation from God about what He had called me to do. And it was much, much bigger than what I was seeing in my life. And it was much bigger than what I had proclaimed to people. And I was afraid to speak out the fullness of my vision because I was afraid that people would criticize me, that people would think I was arrogant. You know, I just sent out a letter within the last uh, few weeks. And in this letter, again, you know, we now got the first stage of our building of this campus built up in Woodland Park and it was a $32 million project buying the land, the infrastructure, you know, the architects, everything. It was $32 million. We're now into construction on the second phase, a $53 million project. And I've got vision far beyond that. And the Lord just spoke to me this year after we had finished the first phase and we're into the second phase that I again was fearful 
about people rejecting me, thinking that I was going to build a kingdom, that I was trying to build a dynasty, that it was all about my legacy, which I've heard people make comments like that, and that's not true. And I don't want people to sit there and misjudge me, and so I was, I was holding back on being bold and speaking forth all of my vision. And God just again within the last few months was telling me that, you know what, that's the fear of man. And according to Proverbs 25, 29, 25, it brings a snare. And Satan was hindering me through this. And so again, I'm just being bold, speaking forth my vision and saying the things that God has put in my heart. And so this is something that God dealt with me really powerfully uh, 12 years ago, but still He's dealing with me about this. Nobody wants... All of the criticism, I understand that. I can relate to that. But I'm telling you, this is what God is speaking to me and I'm therefore speaking it to you that you've got to get beyond that. You've got to go beyond this fear of rejection, fear of criticism, fear of persecution, and you've got to stand for what's right and be bold and just proclaim it and let the chips fall where they may. If you don't do that, Satan is going to snare you. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, where it says, The fear of man bringeth a snare. This is how Satan traps us, ensnares us, takes our freedom and our life away, is a fear of what people have to say about us. And I shared that this, you know, is because God didn't make any of us to like rejection. He made us for relationship and for fellowship. And I think that there is just something imprinted on every single person's DNA that wants acceptance. But the reality is that we live in a fallen world and we are going to be rejected and you have to get over it. And so I've been saying a lot of things about this. I want to share with you some things out of the life of Saul. And Saul was a person who God chose and uh, he even, the Lord even spoke through Samuel and told uh, Saul this. Let me jump over to 1 Samuel chapter 15 and in verse 17. This is Samuel rebuking Saul for his disobedience. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And so Samuel said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that when you were little in your own sight, when you were humble, that God exalted you. And if you go back to the 10th chapter of 1 Samuel, you find that Saul was actually, uh, I would say even beyond just humble, he was inferior minded. He was introverted. He was timid and shy. And when Samuel came to anoint him as king, he had this great procession where he had all of the 12 tribes, the leaders of the 12 tribes walk by and he chose the tribe of Benjamin. And then he had all of the major leaders of the families in the tribe of Benjamin come and he chose the house of Kish. And then he had all of the people that were in Kish's family come and he chose Saul and he did this you know, kind of an elaborate display that he was going to anoint Saul to be the king. And when they tried to find him, he wasn't there. And Samuel had to literally ask the Lord and inquire of the Lord where Saul was. And he showed him that he was hiding among the stuff. He was hiding in a basket. And when Saul actually stood up, Saul was taller than any person in the nation of Israel from his shoulders upwards. That means that the next tallest person only came to his shoulders. Saul was this 
great specimen of a man, and yet he had this inferiority-mindedness. And when the people saw him and saw how big he was, but yet how timid and shy he was, it said some of them despised him in their heart and said, how shall this man rule over us? And um, it says in verse, this is 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 27, but the children of Belial said, how shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presents. And look at the last phrase in this verse. It says, but he, Saul, held his peace. Why is it even mentioned that he held his peace? You know, in a subtle way, this is saying that Saul took notice of the people that rejected him, that didn't believe in him. And Saul was sensitive to that. Now again, I don't believe any of us were created to lack rejection, but nonetheless, we've got to realize that if you're going to be put in a position of leadership, you are going to be criticized. I tell our students all of the time that the moment you become a minister and you become a leader, it's just like somebody drew a great big target on your back. Satan is going to come against you. People will feel free to criticize you as a leader that you will never get if you aren't a leader. It just goes with the territory. And we shouldn't be surprised. There's a New Testament scripture that says, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. In other words, we shouldn't be surprised at rejection and criticism and persecution. If you're going to do anything, I guarantee you people are going to speak against you. It just goes with the territory. And so Saul noticed it, but he held his peace. But, you know, if I had time, I'm, not, I'm trying to hurry through this because I could literally spend days teaching on this. But let me just summarize that there are a number of things that happen and Saul was a people pleaser. He was a man pleaser. And according to Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, the fear of man brings a snare. And Saul was always making mistakes because he was trying to please all of the people. Let me give you an example here in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Samuel had told Saul to wait for seven days before he engaged in battle that Samuel would come and make an offering and entreat the Lord for victory before they went out to battle. Well, Saul waited the prescribed time and Samuel was late. Now, anyway, there's a point that could be made about that. I'm just going to pass over this and get right to the chase because I'm trying to cover a lot of things. And so Saul took it upon himself to make a sacrifice, which the king was not anointed to do that. You can't step outside of the calling and the anointing that God has given you. I don't care what the circumstances are. You can't compromise. You have to stay committed to what God has called and anointed you to do. Well, Saul went ahead and offered a sacrifice. It was to God. It was entreating God's favor, but he was out of place. It wasn't his position. Samuel, the prophet, was the one that was supposed to do that. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and in verse 10, that it came to pass as soon as he had made an end of offering, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, The Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal 
and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore. You know, the very fact that he said, I forced myself, shows you that he knew he was wrong. He knew that this wasn't the right thing to do. There was a resistance in his heart. He knew it wasn't proper, but he forced himself and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said unto Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. Boy, that is a huge statement. This is saying that Saul wasn't a fill-in until David could come along. Saul wasn't a temporary fix. The Lord was saying that if he would have obeyed him that day, he would have established his kingdom over Israel forever. We would have never have heard of David. Anyway, there's a lot of points I could make on that. But because Saul feared the people, he was afraid that they were going to leave. He hadn't made supplication. He compromised and he forced himself to go against what God told him to do because of a fear of men, a fear of his own people rejecting him because he hadn't made an offering, a fear of the enemy. And because of that, he forced himself to go outside of what he knew was right in his heart and it cost him the kingdom. Man, that is huge. Whatever you compromise to get or to keep, you're going to lose. Compromise is a language of the devil. You cannot do it. And yet I can guarantee you there's people today that are compromising the truth, compromising their vision, compromising all kinds of things because of a fear of how it's going to play out, of how people are going to respond. There are some of you that work for people that you know what the right thing to do is, but you're afraid that it might cost you a promotion. You're afraid that it might cost you friendships with people at work. And so you aren't doing what you know is right to do and you compromise. And because of it, you're going to lose the kingdom. You aren't going to see God's best come to pass in your life. Compromise is a language of the devil. Don't ever, 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 ever compromise. Well, that is a huge statement. And you could go on and uh, just continue to read in the 13th chapter. In the 15th chapter is another example where Samuel came to Saul and told Saul that he was supposed to go and wipe out the Amalekites. Now, this needs a little interpretation today because the Lord gave a command to Saul to kill the men, the women, the children, and even their animals. And sometimes people look at that and think, man, the Bible is just so harsh. How could you believe in the Bible? In the Old Testament, people could not be born again. They couldn't have their lives changed. And once a person became demon-possessed, it was like a cancer. And it just had to be lopped off. It had to be cut out. It had to be killed. These people were practicing bestiality, sex with animals. And that's the reason the Lord said, kill the men, the women, the children. The children were dedicated to the devil. They actually had ceremonies where they became demon-possessed. And because they couldn't be born again and couldn't be delivered, it was like a cancer that, you know, today people actually cut off parts of their body. They irradiate themselves with 
you know, radiation and stuff trying to kill cancers and it causes terrible effects on their body. But the reasoning behind it is that it's better to cut off a part of your body. It's better to suffer these sicknesses and losing your hair and your face swelling and all of these other things than it is to die of cancer. Well, before the people could be born again in the Old Testament, it was better to just surgically remove these people that were demon-possessed and beyond hope. It was, it was an act of mercy on the rest of the human race to just wipe them out. So he told Saul to go kill men, women, children, their animals and everything. Well, they went and they killed the men they saved the animals and they were going to use them to sacrifice so that they wouldn't have to sacrifice their own animals as an offering to God, but they could take these animals that were already destined to be killed and they were going to use them as sacrifice. And so when he came back from the battle, it says that Samuel in verse 12, when Samuel rose early uh, to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a place and has gone about and placed uh, and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said unto him, be, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? In other words, Saul was saying, you know, I've done what God told me to do. And he says, well, if you did what God told you to do, why are the, these animals still alive? You were told to kill even the animals. And look at Saul's response. It says in verse uh, 15, And Saul said, They have brought them. Notice, he said, They, not I, they. He was putting this off on the people as if it was their uh, choice to do this. They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Now he was trying to whitewash it and say, but we're going to offer them. We are going to kill them, but we're going to offer them as a sacrifice to the Lord. He just failed to mention that instead of offering our own animals, which would have been a decrease in our flocks and herds, we decided we'd take these animals that were already uh, destined to be killed and sacrifice them. And you know, there was an ulterior motive. There was a financial benefit of this to them. And he tried to whitewash it and say, we are going to sacrifice them to the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, stay and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, say on. And Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then hast thou not obeyed the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Samuel had told him, You didn't obey the voice of the Lord. Saul is saying, Oh, I did obey the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, again, see, he's not taking responsibility. He's pushing this off on the people. The people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? 
To behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Boy, that is a tremendous point. I tell you, there is no way you can compromise and say, well, I meant good, but I just decided to do it this way. You can't compromise. We just need to obey and do what God told us to do. In verse 23, he says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words. Notice this, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Here's Saul saying, the reason I didn't completely obey God, the reason I did this is because of a fear of the people. He caved in to the people. He was the king. He was supposed to do what God told him to do. Samuel didn't give this command to the people. He gave this command to the leader, to the king. And yet the king did not obey what God told him to do because of a fear of people. It was a snare and it cost him his kingdom. It cost him. It cost not only Saul, but it cost his son Jonathan. It cost his other children. The household of Saul was destroyed. They could have reigned as royalty in the nation of Israel, but instead they became outcast. And all because he compromised because of a fear of people. And in verse 24, And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned away, turned about to go away, he laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Then he said, this is Saul said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. Now this is amazing. It's terrible that he compromised. It's terrible that because he feared the people, he didn't obey God. It had cost him his kingdom. As Samuel turned to walk away, he grabbed his robe and it tore. And Samuel used that as an illustration to say, just like my robe has been rent, God has rent the kingdom away from you and has given it to somebody else. And this was a total rejection by God towards Saul. He had lost everything. And yet look at what he says. But nonetheless, turn with me now and honor me in front of the elders of my people. You know what this is? This is him saying, I don't really care about whether God has rejected me. I don't care what's going to happen to my children, to my grandchildren. I don't care if I've lost the kingdom forever or whatever. But right now, make me look good in the sight of these people. He was a man pleaser to the max. And this is the very thing that caused the downfall of Saul is because he was constantly trying to please people. And I tell you, I have literally seen people's lives destroyed by this fear of what men are going to say about them. I was talking to some people just recently who were in ministry and were being criticized 
and they were admitting that, you know, it really bothers them what people think. And I was saying, have you gone to that person and talked to him? Well, no. And I said, go talk to him. I said, the worst thing that could happen is you confirm all of the fears that you have about what this person is thinking. But I said, it's possible that you may have misread it. They were talking about a person from another nation, a different culture. And I said, you know, some people are just brash and they say things and don't mean a thing by it. I said, go talk to them. But see, they were just letting the fear of rejection, fear of what this person was saying about them, paralyze them. I said, go talk to them. Make it clear and deal with it. You've got the potential of totally resolving this situation, but if not, well, then you'll know that this is just this person is bitter and mean and you can forget it and go on and do what God told you to do. But this couple that I was talking to, they were paralyzed by a fear of rejection. And I have seen this in myself. I've seen it in other people that it is a stronghold and you just cannot live that way. You can't succeed. The fear of man brings a snare. And this is one of the reasons that I was limiting God is because I was fearful of people rejecting me, fearful of people criticizing me, people fearful of people thinking I was arrogant and promoting myself when all I was doing was trying to obey what God had put in my heart. And I tell you, it paralyzed me and it was a problem. How do you keep from letting this desire to be accepted and loved become something that paralyzes you and keeps you from following God and doing what God wants you to do? To me, here's the antidote right here in 1 John chapter 4, and in verse 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Boy, that is a huge statement. If we were really operating in love, and I'm not just talking about love among people, but if we were operating in God's supernatural kind of love, the kind of love that we're celebrating today when we talk about God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, John 3, 16. If we really understood the love that God has for us, that He commended towards us in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If we really understood that love, that love from God towards us would set us free from a fear of people rejecting us. A person who lives in fear of men and is afraid to say the truth, afraid to act the proper way, afraid to be who they are, who God has made them to be because they're fearful of being criticized or rejected over it. A person who lives like that is a person who has not been made perfect in love because perfect love will cast out fear. That is a huge statement that I just made right there. And I believe that in a sense, that's an indictment against the vast majority of us because the vast majority of us, and I'm still dealing with this myself. It's not like I've arrived, I've left. I'm not as bad as I used to be, but I still... Uh, don't enjoy the criticism and the persecution and stuff. And because of that, God has spoken to me even in the last few months about how I was limiting Him by fear of what people were going to say about me if I really started speaking forth my vision and doing these things. 
And so, you know what? That is an indication that I really need to just rest in the love of God more than what I have been. It's not something that you just get it and like you never have to get a further or a deeper revelation of it. The love of God is infinitely greater than what any of us can ever comprehend. And it's something that we have to just continue to grow in. And the more responsibility, the larger God shows you things and stuff, the greater your revelation of God's love because there will be greater criticism and things like this come against you. And so I'm still growing in this myself. But I firmly believe that understanding God's perfect love cast out fear. You know, I remember back in the early days of our ministry, we used to really struggle financially. And I mean, there were times that it looked like that the best thing for me to do is quit the ministry and go get a job and pay off my debt. Now, we're believing for such big things that, you know what, I couldn't ever go get a job to pay off my debt. I mean, I'm committed. The only way through this is to keep walking with the Lord. But back in the beginning, I remember one time that, you know, I'm a, what they call a lucid dreamer and I dream in color and I mean, it's vivid. And I remember one time having a dream that the financial pressure was just so hard on me that I went and joined the Air Force and that I had quit the ministry and I was going to take the money I learned, earned from the Air Force and pay off all of my debts. And I mean, I dream like it is reality. And when I woke up, it was on a Saturday morning, I remember laying there and thinking, oh, thank God that was only a dream because I mean, for a while, my heart was just broken like I just, you know, ran off and joined the military to try and pay for my debts. And so I was laying in bed. I was awake, but I was laying in bed just saying, thank you, Jesus. That was only a dream. And my wife, she leaned over and she says, you know, things weren't so bad that you had to go join the military. And when she said that, I mean, for just a second, my heart just jumped up like, oh no, it wasn't a dream. It was real. I really did it. And she had heard me talking in my sleep. And so she said that. But anyway, I mean, I was in a position where I was under this pressure and I was fearful of failure and fearful of all of these things. And during that period of time, God spoke to me and just gave me a deeper, greater revelation of how much He loved me and that even if I messed up, even if I failed, that God loved me. And you know, it's exactly like this verse says, perfect love cast out my fear. I mean, when I got to understanding how much God loved me, it's just like my fear of failure and my fear of all of these other things just evaporated. And this has happened, I don't know, dozens, hundreds of times in my life that I've come up against problems and I get to focus on those problems and because of it, there's a fear of failure or a fear of people or a fear of whatever. And then I just continue in my relationship with God and He once again assures me of His love for me and my fear of people, fear of failure just evaporates. Love is the antidote to this. And a person who is fearful of people, you, it basically just comes down to the fact that you are not secure in how much God loves you. And I know that there's people saying, oh no, I know that He loves me. Well, it may be an intellectual fact, but it's not a heartfelt reality it's not really functioning in your life the way it should. Our perfect love would cast out fear. You know, I had a, uh, a mutual friend 
this guy, we were walking up Pikes Peak and there's a pastor that loves both of us and hates both of us and criticizes us and is very vicious in some of the things that he said. And we had talked about it in the past. Both of us had borne the brunt of this pastor's rejection. And anyway, as we were walking up Pikes Peak, he started telling me the newest thing that he had heard that this pastor had said about us, about both of us. And I just stopped him and I said, look, I don't want to hear it. I said, I know that this guy's criticizing us. And I said, I, you know, it's not like I didn't know that. I said, I just don't want to hear it. And so we walked on. About 10 minutes later, he started talking again. And he says, but this guy had said this. You, you need to hear this. And I, I just stopped him again and said, look, I don't want to hear it. Talk about something else. And about 10 minutes later, he finally comes back and he says, why doesn't it bother you? What this man says about you. He says, he says the same things about you that he says about me. Why doesn't it bother you? And I told him, I said, because I don't place the value on his opinion that you do. I don't need his approval. I said, God loves me and God is pleased with me. And I really don't care what this man says about me. And you know what? If you are a person that is just brokenhearted because somebody hasn't accepted you, has criticized you or something, you can, you can try and explain this away any way you want to. But if you really knew how much God loved you, you wouldn't care so much about what other people have to say about you. The fact that you are brokenhearted by some person's rejection or criticism or persecution is an indication that you aren't really walking in the perfect love of God. Perfect love cast out fear. You wouldn't be fearful. You wouldn't be hurt. You wouldn't be responding to those things the way that you are if you really knew how much God loved you. Man, that's a strong statement right there. And most people don't look at things that way. You know, I've had people come up and say, well, I've heard you use that example, but this is my husband. This is my wife. I have to have their acceptance. No, you don't. I mean, it's wonderful to have a mate that does accept you. And if you can walk in unity, it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. If one falls, the other will lift him up. You know, but how can one be warm alone? I misquoted some of that. But I agree that having a mate that is in agreement is a wonderful thing. But Moses wife. She was totally against him and he still went down and brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And on and on you could go through scripture and show people that they didn't have the best marriage and yet God still used them and God's will came to pass. And just to say that you, you've got to have the acceptance of your mate is not true. In a sense, to use a buzzword, one of the psychological buzzwords today. You are codependent. You cannot make it without this person's acceptance, whether it's a husband, a wife, a parent, a child, a good friend, the acceptance of the pastor or whatever. You have become codependent upon those things. And I'm telling you that the only people that will ever let you down are the ones that you lean upon. You need to hold every relationship so lightly that the only person that you are absolutely 100% dependent upon their acceptance is God. And if God loves you and if God has accepted you, then you could bear the rejection of any person else. Because in comparison to God, whoever it is that has rejected you, who has criticized you, who you're afraid of their rejection, they are nobody compared to God. 
I had a man come to me one time and he just started reading me the riot act and rebuking me. And I mean, just letting me have it. And I stopped him right in the middle of his tirade. And I just said, who died and made you God? And this man looked at me like, what are you saying? I said, who are you? I said, I don't know you. I don't care what you think about me. And he got really offended. Well, you should care. And I said, well, I don't care. I said, you are nobody compared to God. I said, I'm not perfect. I'm not proclaiming that I do everything right. But God Almighty loves me. God counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And if God Almighty loves me, who are you to reject me? And you know what? I just got over it. Now again, it doesn't bless me when people come up and say bad things and tell me that they don't like me and point out my mistakes and I make plenty of mistakes and stuff. It doesn't bless me, but you know what? It doesn't keep me up at night because I go to bed and saying, Father, I may have messed up again. Maybe I didn't represent you exactly the way I should have, but you love me and you're pleased with me. Praise God. And I just rest in the love of Jesus and that perfect love that I receive from Jesus cast out the fear of what you or what somebody else thinks. I'm telling you, a person who is fearful of men, fearful of rejection, can't live without the approval of other people is a person that is not basking in the love of God. They may have it intellectually, They may understand some things, but they aren't experientially uh, walking in the love of God or that perfect love would cast out fear. And let me just make this point. I don't say this with any satisfaction. I hate to say it, but I believe that ministers are some of the very worst people about being fearful of men. I've seen statistics and, you know, I recently taught on evolution and versus creationism, and I forget the exact figures now, but there was something like 60% of Bible-believing pastors who believed in creation as the Bible presents it. Now, that in itself is bad that nearly half of the pastors don't even believe the biblical account. They believe evolution over that. But among those 60% who believed it, there was something like only 10 to 20% that would speak it out because they were afraid of the criticism, the rejection. They were afraid that people might leave their church and stuff like that. So even among the the 60% who believed in biblical creationism, they were afraid of men to speak it forth. That's terrible. And you know why that is? Because I believe that we aren't secure in God. We aren't secure in God's love and ministers Many, many, many ministers have gotten to where they are just dependent upon those people. They're afraid that people will leave their church if they go to speaking forth the truth and being bold. They're afraid that people will quit tithing, that they'll lose support. They're afraid of all of these kind of things. And I'm telling you that the fear of man brings a snare. How do you overcome that? You get to a place to where you just say what God tells you to do and you know what? You are responsible to God and you are trusting God to take care of you. Again, I'm not a perfect example on this, but I've been bold. I've spoken out on a lot of things. I've taken stands that there are literally hundreds, if not thousands of blogs written about me that I'm this terrible person and they accuse me of things that I've never even thought of doing, much less committed. And you know what? God has blessed me because I'm I'm just trusting Him and God takes care of me and I am prospering. 
And I'm telling you, you do not have to be afraid of men. God is enough. I heard a testimony by a man who was from Scandinavia and this was a big man. He was an older man when I heard him many years ago and he went to Africa and he started planting churches and he was ministering, but he was struggling financially. He was struggling to get the things done. He, was, he felt like he was by himself. He didn't have people accept him and he was struggling with the rejection and all of these kind of things. And so anyway, he was out in the jungle praying and as he prayed, he was just complaining and saying, and you know, griping is what it was. And he was telling God that people have rejected me and people don't appreciate me and people don't support me. And oh God, I'm just by myself. And he was whining about all of this. And he said that the audible voice of God came and it was so loud. It was like thunder. The ground shook, the trees shook. And God said, Walter, and, you know, called his name out. And he said, aren't I enough? And he just kept saying this over and over. Walter, aren't I enough? Until eventually Walter got the message and he began to say, God, you're enough. And he didn't care what people thought about him. And he went on to plant hundreds of churches in Africa and became a powerful minister and you know what happened? He was able to overcome the fear of man, the rejection that came to him from people because he was in the presence of God. And I would say to you and to me, isn't God's love enough? Isn't His acceptance for us enough? We are the ones who have made ourselves codependent upon the acceptance of other people. And I'm telling you, that's a wrong decision. I go back to this verse. It says, there is no fear in love. If we're fearful of men, if we're fearful of rejection, if we're fearful of punishment, persecution, it's because we aren't operating in the love of God. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We've just got to go back to the fact that God loved us. God loved us so much that He commended His love towards us. You know, at this time, Christmas season, we talk about God loving us and people talk about it and yet many times they don't get the fullness of it. That there, it, God didn't love us because we were lovely. It wasn't because God looked at us and we were so beautiful that He just thought, oh, I've got to help them. No, we were destitute. We were so miserable. It wasn't because we were lovely. It was because God is love that He commended His love toward us. And I tell you, if you could ever understand the awesomeness of God sending Jesus and Him dying for us. At the Christmas season, there will be a lot of focus on Jesus becoming a baby. And they, you know, I'm not saying that these things are wrong, but it stops short of understanding that he lived a life and for 33 years he suffered being limited to being inside of a physical body and it wasn't a beautiful physical body. Over in Isaiah chapter 53 it says that there was no beauty in him, that when we see him there was nothing desirable in Jesus. He was plain. Here's Almighty God living 33 years in a plain human body because He wanted to identify with us. And then He bore our sins and He was totally rejected. He could have called 10,000 angels, but He suffered 
alone for you and me was rejected by His Father so that you and I would never be rejected. And isn't that enough? Isn't it enough that God Almighty sent His Son Jesus and if Jesus has accepted you and if you're born again, why do we have to have the acceptance of everybody else? Again, I'm not saying that you like rejection, that you go out and willfully try and offend people. We need to walk in love and represent God as well as we possibly can, but I'm saying there is going to come rejection. There are going to be people, you may be in a family situation where people just think that you're an absolute weirdo, that you're a fanatic, and because of that it doesn't bless you, but it shouldn't stop you from being who you are. It shouldn't make you compromise. You shouldn't be afraid. You shouldn't be codependent upon the approval of family members or of anybody else. You need a personal relationship with God and you need to accept that. If you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord, if you just know about Him, but you don't know Him, you can know the Lord personally. And when this love is shed abroad in your heart, it's like you are basking in the love that comes from God directly so much that it's not that you enjoy other people disliking you or rejecting you, but it's just like it doesn't matter. God Almighty loves you. Who cares what anybody else thinks? I encourage you to draw near to God. Draw into the love of God. Spend some time today just letting God's love be shed abroad in your heart. Romans chapter 5, by the Holy Ghost. If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, you need to receive that because when you speak in tongues, it says in Jude chapter 1, verse 20, you build up yourself on your most holy faith. And the next verse says you keep yourself in the love of God. The love of God will just begin to start flowing through you and you can reach a place to where it doesn't matter what anybody else says. God loves you and that's all that counts. Man, that's good, good news.